Yeah, now we can go three less minutes, right? Yeah. Okay, let's try again. Good morning. How are you guys? <laughs> we can do it without the pops. That's a lot easier. Uh, man, I, I'm so excited that it's finally 60 degrees outside and not 90. What the heck is wrong with Texas? I don't understand it. But this is where we live and this is what we chose. So you guys signed a paper when you came across the border here to be a part of this. This is what it was. Hey, uh, now's not the time to hibernate. Now's not the time to uh, put on your winter skin, as I like to put it, um, to insulate versus the cold. It's not cold. Um, so you have no excuse uh, to go and eat a whole bunch and try to get that blubber on for the winter. Um, instead, let's get active. Let's get that Couch to 5K app and let's begin to strive towards that health that we were talking about last week. Let me give you just a quick synopsis of last week so you can kind of catch up with us if you're new. Last week we said that loving God with all of our hearts isn't just spiritual. It's not just emotional. Um, it, it carries so much more. We said that lev is the very essential part of you. Lev is the Hebrew word that talks about your center. It talks about your essence, your very being. And so in the Jewish mindset, to say to love God with all your heart doesn't mean to love God with all your emotions. It means to love God with your knowing, your thinking, your self-will, your volition, and with your feelings. It's really a, a total encompassing of your whole life, and every other aspect of life touches the other aspect. So if I'm emotionally healthy, that's going to lend itself towards my physical health. If I'm physically healthy, it's going to lend itself towards my spiritual health. If I'm spiritually healthy, it'll, and all of these pieces connect together because we are one holistic thing. We're not a body and a soul and a heart and a mind. You are all of those things combined. Does this make sense so far? Okay. It means that I should care about how much I eat. Amen. It means I should care about what I eat. It means I should stretch. It means I should grow my muscles. It means I should be looking for people who I can trust or professionals, if necessary, who can help me sort out and cope with the things that have happened in my life so that I can have healthy emotional processes and healthy mental thinking as opposed to distortions. Ultimately, all this has to stem from my love for God in my very center because putting him as the chief and most important thing in my life, giving him total control of my everything means that everything will begin to line up the way that he wants it to. Did you guys know that God views the world a certain way? I mean, he has, he has a, a, a way that he views the world. He has a way that he views you. He has a way um, of seeing you that he wants you to join in with. He wants you to take your view of the world, your view of good and evil, your view of how things should operate, and he wants you to instead put his view as primary because he has an idea in mind for what flourishing and for what wholeness should look like. Somebody say tamim. This is, what, this is our Hebrew scholarly words we were looking at last week. God wants us to be whole. He wants us to be complete. And so we have to line up with his way of seeing the world and his way of living. Because if we do what Jesus did, if we think like Jesus thought, we apply the attitudes and characteristics into our lives, of, of like Jesus, then we're going to begin to view and see and act and operate the way that God would want us to, which not only impacts our lives, but also impacts our little piece of earth wherever we live, okay? So this is the idea for the Jew to love God with all of our heart. And so then it becomes a process where it becomes really the, the, the most vital thing in our lives, the most primary things in our lives have to become our growing relationship with Christ. Because if I want to strive for true health, in all areas of my life, 
uh, spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical, then I can't, I can't assume that I understand it all and see it all. Um, do you guys have blind spots in your car when you drive? Can you see them? Exactly. Exactly. That, that's why it's called a blind spot. And in our lives, to assume that you can see every single area of your life with prescience and ability the way that God sees every area of your life is a little bit foolish. It's a little bit arrogant to think that I've got it all under control. Listen, you lost your keys this morning. You didn't even know where they were. What are you talking about? You, you, you've got your emotions all the way handled and you've got your spiritual life all the way handled. You don't even know where your keys are sometimes. You woke up with a bad attitude and you don't even know why sometimes. Amen? I, there's mornings I wake up and I'm just crabby. You know what I'm saying? And it's not because anyone was rude to me or anything happened. I just opened my eyes and I was in a bad mood. See, that's the whole point, though, is that because you don't have a full handle on every aspect of your life, maybe you have a handle on some of your aspects, but not on every single aspect of your life, we need God's help in order to transform us and we need to view our lives the way that he does as one cohesive piece. And we should strive for health in every area of our lives. That means that our relationship with Christ has to be primary. At Cornerstone, the way that we grow our relationship with Christ is through a process called discipleship. Somebody say discipleship. Have you guys heard a sermon about that before? Probably around here you have. Um, if you haven't, we'll kind of explain and talk about what that is today. Listen, we don't just want to push for, for groups or a discipleship relationship um, here because it's like the new churchy fad kind of thing to do. Get a cell group, get a life group, get a, uh, I don't know all the names, it doesn't matter. We're not just trying to do churchy things because that's what churchy people do. We're not just wanting to apply these things and be like in vogue. Uh, we, don't, we, don't, we know that you have friends. We know that you have lots of people in your life and have a lot of relationships that go back and forth. It's not, we're not just trying to contrive friendships for you because we think that you're lame and a loser. That's not at all the case. We know that you have lots of people in your life. It's not because we just want to fill your time with activity. We want to fill your life with useless, busy work. That is not at all our goal. It's not because it's an ego stroke for me to think, oh, we have so many groups and we're so important because we have lots of groups. None of that is the case. Your health is dependent upon how primary God is in your life. Discipleship is the main way that we grow in our relationships with Christ. It is replacing our old view of the world, replacing our old, our old view of how we should do things, replacing our old values, our old characteristics, and our attributes, and our attitudes to instead line up with Christ. We need to introduce those in because he has the best idea of what flourishing, what wholeness, and completeness should be, and so we should line up with that vision. Discipleship is the way forward. And again, to think that I can impact every area of my life perfectly and with the precision, the love, um, and with the wholeness that God could do, and to think that I can do it by myself is foolishness. It's arrogance. Jesus will say it like this in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, and what? does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. 
Here's Jesus' point. If you hear what I say and don't do them, you're a fool. If you hear what I say and you do it, you're a wise man or a wise woman. You're a wise person. How about that? You're a wise person who understands what life really should look like and how it really should work and how you'll flourish and how you'll become whole and complete. And so if you hear my words and you do them, you are a very wise person. You're a person who builds their house on a rock. You're a very foolish person if you hear my words and you think that you can do it by yourself. This is Jesus' whole point. And if you try to build your house by yourself without laying a foundation first, then when things happen in your life, you're liable to destruction. And, and this is what Jesus is trying to get us towards. is not just that we, uh, we learn about him, just that we know about what he's talking about, but actually that we apply his method in our life. We apply what we're learning in our lives. The way that he did things is the way that he, we should do things. The way that he saw things is the way that we should also see things. See, and his method of growth was discipleship. It was to grab several guys, called them followers, and to train them and to teach them and to then release them, send them out to practice and to do all the things that he was teaching them to do. He's wanting them to swap their values, their characteristics, and their attitudes instead of their own with his. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I've been reading it lately. This is like the, the summation, really, of what it looks like to be like Jesus. You've heard it said, don't murder somebody. I'm telling you, don't hate somebody. You've heard it said, uh, store up for yourself. Get as much as you can in this world. I'm telling you, the birds have all kinds of food, and they don't have any barns. Your life is more than clothing. Listen, the, the flowers of the field are, are, are more beautifully dressed than even Solomon was. Your life is more than these things. Don't worry about this stuff. This is a swapping of values, a swapping of attributes and characteristics to put Jesus at the primary spot in our lives. And that is exactly what our groups are attempting to do. That's exactly what our discipleship relationships are intended to be doing, is helping one another swap out the old way of living and apply the new way of living. And so there's a method behind this. There's, uh, uh, it's not just about understanding, it's about doing, okay? And then once you understand the teachings and are applying them in your life, once you understand the method via an, an intentional relationship where you're trying to transfer your life into somebody else and you're trying to see them experience life transformation, once you understand the method and the teaching, then you get to do it forever and ever and ever until you die. <laughs> On purpose. It's supposed to be this way because this is your purpose. We're supposed to invest our lives deeper than just the surface with people. We're supposed to build relationships. We're supposed to know more than just Sunday school answers. We're supposed to live out our walk with Jesus. You're supposed to invest your life in others. This is exactly Jesus' call. Your mission, your mission, the great commission that Jesus gives to us, Matthew chapter 28, is to go and make disciples. This is everyone's mission. This is everyone's purpose. Your life was always meant to be invested in one another. See, it can't just be an activity, though. It can't just be a thing that we do, uh, uh, you know, one hour out of our week or, or just, you know, a sermon time where we come and learn something together. It can't just be that. It has to be a lifestyle update, a total change in our current operating system. So instead of being this way, we now have to be this way. We have to live our whole lives for Christ. 
See, and I think if you've grown up in church, you kind of already know this. Yeah, discipleship. Yeah, following Christ. Yeah, okay, do the things he says. Okay, I got it. Does I? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that we kind of know this. I think that we understand this. So I don't really know that the problem is that we have a lack of knowledge. I think the problem is we have a lack of submission. And I think you know this is true in life. Uh, you and I don't like diets. They're mean. They tell you to stop eating so much, and they tell you that you should eat these types of things, and they tell you you should eat at these times of the day. I love to eat at 10 o'clock, you know what I'm saying, at 10 p.m. It says don't do that because it will store all that extra fat up in your body because it, and, and you'll sleep happy, but your body will really fill up, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I want to think that a diet's trying to abuse me. I want to think that a diet's like a really terrible person that's trying to beat me into submission or something like that. This is not the truth. The diet is simply a set of ideas, a set of teachings, and then a process to accomplish the health that it's trying to get you towards. Does this make sense? Okay. So submission becomes the way that we change. The process of the diet says do these things and adopt these ideas, and then you'll begin to strive towards health as you do the things that the diet says you should do. Do you guys see where I'm headed right now? Spiritually, this is the same exact thing. With a submission to God's ideas and his methods, not just his ideas, and his methods, when we submit to that, we begin to line up with what Jesus had always envisioned for our lives, which is to be people who are like him to be a brand new humanity that instead of uh, raging against people or being frustrated or angry all the time, instead live at peace because they know they have their creator on their side. I mean, Matthew, again, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is what it should look like. We should be totally committed to Jesus and totally committed to swapping out um, our old way of living and putting him as primary in our lives. The reality is that you can't submit to multiple methods. The keto diet... Um, I know I've learned it uh, just in conversation because if you're on keto, you, you just talk about it all the time. And so I know that what you're supposed to do is you stop eating um, all things that have uh, a grain in it or uh, all things that have a carb in it. Is it carbs? I'm learning. Carbs, and instead you drink ba bacon grease, right? It's just bacon grease drinking as a meal substitute and no carbs ever. And you lose lots of weight and you're really healthy and I hear about it all the time. Um, but listen, you can't also then say, I'm going to apply this diet into my life and this diet, I'm going to steal a little bit of this diet over here and put it over here. If you're going to be on keto, you've got to be dedicated to the diet, right? If you're going to be on Atkinson or, or Atkinson, it doesn't matter, whatever the, whatever, the, whatever the name is, I don't know what it's called. If you're going to be on those diets, you have to submit to that diet. You can't pull in other different types of diets into it because it doesn't work. They have competing ideas. They have competing ideas about how the way should, how, how your life should go, what looks, what health looks like, and how you attain that health. They have competing ideas. You can't have multiple methods or ideas creeping in. So ultimately, you have to decide who you will serve, what you will serve, what you will obey, and how you'll do it. Matthew 6:24. Jesus says it this way: No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I understand that this is like a particular context. Jesus is talking about God and money. But the principle is still the same. 
You can't have multiple masters at the same time. You're going to serve one. You can't have simultaneous masters. You can only have one at one time. Paul says it this way in Romans 6.16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. This is the language of the New Testament. Um, They're going to use this to describe what takes primacy in your life. What takes the primary position, the top place in your heart and in your lives? Remember, God wants to be at the top place. Deuteronomy chapter 6 told us to love God with all of our hearts, our souls, and our strength. Jesus affirms this, says that this is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. To be whole, to be complete, to be tamim, means that you can't be divided and who you obey. You can't have a divided mind. You have to be singular, whole, towards God, being submitted to him. The problem is that you and I like to serve all kinds of masters. The problem is that we are really, really inconsistent at always putting Jesus at the primary spot in our lives. Now, I've been reading some really smart people, um, like Tim Keller and Matt Chandler and Dick Kaufman and Dick Keyes, and um, they've been telling me some stuff. They have two categories um, that I want to kind of search out today a little bit. There's surface masters, and there are source masters. Uh, I want to I talk through this today because you and I need to be able to recognize which master we have swapped out of Jesus' place and put at the charge. We need to know this so that we can move forward towards health. Now, these things by themselves are not bad things. These things in and of themselves aren't a bad thing. They become a bad thing when we take Jesus out of his primary place and put them in the primary place. Everything that we do think and say filters into that master. Again, what you serve, who you obey, becomes your master. So let's talk about surface masters for a moment. There's an image master. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have a particular kind of look or body imagery. Now listen, heart health is all about viewing yourself well, going towards having a healthy body, absolutely you should want to have a healthy body because having a healthy body lends itself again to your emotional, your mental, and your spiritual health. So we should have healthy bodies. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be healthy, with wanting to look nice. I mean, you guys showed up looking nice today on Sunday. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But when it takes the place of Jesus as primary in our hearts and in our lives, that's the issue. We have to have mastery over these things, not be mastered by them. And so we can, be, uh, we, can, we can serve this master where life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have a kind of look or body imagery. Another one is achievement master. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am recognized for my accomplishments, if I am excellent at my career. Relationship master. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if Mr. or Mrs. Wright is in love with me. Family master. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if my children or my parents are happy and are happy with me. Suffering master. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am hurting and in a problem because only then do I feel noble and worthy of love or am able to deal with the guilt. See, this list could go on and on and maybe you're starting to feel yourself identify with one of these. Surely some of us fit into these these, uh, master roles here where we are obeying these things. But but listen, these are the easy ones to call out. These are the surface masters. These are the weeds. 
Who mows their own lawn? Anybody in here? Yeah. All right. All right. Who has a, a, a lawn mowed at all in general? Okay. Now, the rest of us for, for the most part. Um, are you allowed to mow over weeds? Trick question. You're allowed to. Should you? <laughs> Should we mow over weeds? In Texas, they're back in 20 minutes, and they have a sword in their hand all of a sudden. They want to kill you. Weeds in Texas don't play around. Uh, if you mow over a weed, they're back that afternoon, and they're trying to steal your money. Uh, that's, that's what weeds do in Texas. If you mow over a weed, they'll be right back. They grow faster than the grass, and they suck out the life of the grass all around it. And listen, you, you want good grass in Texas. You don't want weeds all over the place. You can't just mow over weeds. What do you have to do instead? You have to pull them out by the root. You have to pull them out by the root. All of these surface masters, these easy things to identify, oh yeah, I really like that thing, That's, I can see I serve that thing in my life. Um, all of those come from a deeper place, source masters. So I want to talk about four source masters where everything else kind of comes from. And I want you to see yourself in one of these today. Okay? I want you to listen uh, uh, actively, and I want you to begin to process, where am I in this list? Do I match one or all four or whatever? I want you to hear yourself in one of these. Let's talk about them. Comfort master. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have this kind of pleasure experience or a particular quality of life. The greatest desire is to be comfortable, willing to pay for it with productivity. The greatest fear is stress and demands. Often others feel hurt because relationships can only go an inch deep. These people are often bored and underperforming because they don't want demands on them. The funny thing about comfort is that you're always chasing the experience, always chasing the next time that you get to rest and relax. People will become collateral damage because relationships take hard work. Your heart was not created for your own comfort only, always, and forever. Your heart was created for relationship, for community, and for investment not idleness and aloofness. Comfort master. Next is approval master. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am loved and respected by fill in the blank. My greatest desire is affirmation, love, and relationships. Willing to pay for it with independence and margin in my life. Others often feel smothered by you because the expectations are impossible for them to live up to. The greatest fear is being alone. These people are often cowardly. They will never speak their minds or take a position because someone might not like it. These people overcommit, overpromise, and overstate to gain affirmation. They are worried what others will think, and they are constantly negative towards themselves. Listen, your heart was not created to only be affirmed by people, but God who loves you and deeply um, knows you he wants you to find your identity in him rather than the words of someone else. Listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be affirmed. There's nothing wrong with affirming one another. We should encourage and love one another well. We should bear each other's burdens. But listen, the truest thing that is said about you is not what others say, but what God says. That's the truest thing. This is what your heart was made for, to be connected with him. That's approval master. Next is control master. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am able to get mastery over my life in the area of fill-in-the-blank. 
greatest desires to be in control. These people want self-discipline, they want certainty, and they desire standards. They are willing to pay for it with loneliness and spontaneity. The greatest fear is uncertainty. Others often feel condemned and judged. The common phrase is, why can't you just, if I want it done right, then I'll do it myself. This person is often worried and anxious. Uh, They use people to manipulate and achieve the peace and rest that they can't themselves find. Listen, your heart was not made to be anxious and worried because God is in control. He is the ultimate rest and peace. He provides it, he gives it, and he is it. Power master. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. The greatest desire is to have influence, power, success, and to win. And more than to win, to never lose or be seen losing. Willing to pay for it with reputation. I don't care what other people think about me as long as I'm winning. Everybody else can go somewhere else. (laughs) My way or the highway is this type of person's mentality. They want competition. They want to win, and they want to be seen doing it. Their greatest fear is humiliation. Their problem emotion is anger. Others around them often feel used because they are merely pawns in their scheme to gain power, success, and influence. They tend to struggle with violence or some sort of addiction to control and to feel like they're in control or have power over their circumstances. Listen, your heart was made to glorify God, making yourself humble and to make him great as opposed to always caring only about yourself and your own status. Now listen, all of these by themselves is not bad. It's not bad to want success. It's not bad to want to win. It's not bad to want to be affirmed by people. It's not bad to want to sit on the couch some days and watch Netflix. It's not bad. It's not bad to want to plan and have a plan for the future. None of these things are by themselves bad things, but when they take the place of Jesus as master in your life, they become all that you live for. And we can't allow power, control, comfort, or approval to become our masters because then we will begin to distort the type of flourishing, the type of life that Jesus wants us to live. So whether you see yourself in one or all four of these, the point is the same, that you and I have a problem with who's our master. You and I have a problem with who we serve and with who we obey. We'll distort our health, we'll distort our wholeness, and we'll stunt the process of healing that God wants us to have when we let these things take primary spot rather than Jesus. So last week we talked about the ideal, where we should be, what we should be, how we should be. This week I want you to assess and begin to think about where you are right now. Which master are you serving? Listen, the way I'm saying this, you have to assess. It's not like one of these masters takes control of your life and, you, and they say, okay, now you're serving power. Okay, now you're serving control. That's not how it works. You have to look at your actions, your attitudes, and your expectations. You have to filter those through what Jesus says, and then you'll be able to discern between which master I am serving, whether it's Jesus or power or comfort or control or affirmation. For me, I often, my, my, two, my two masters 
that I often swap out with Jesus are comfort and control. I control stuff so I can be comfortable. Those are my two blends. And I will often go home and expect that the food is ready and that a cold one's sitting by me and that the show is on and uh, that my kids are quiet and submissive. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. This is not the reality, and all of us know this. That's just not what it looks like when you go home. Uh, your kids need your attention. Uh, you, it, the Bible calls me to serve my wife and to love my family, not to be served by them, not to be uh, uh, waited on hand and foot. That's silliness. Uh, just because I go home doesn't mean I, I stop working and stop uh, trying to apply what Jesus is, is trying to do in my life. And so I often have to check myself. Am I seeking comfort? Am I seeking control here? I mean, what, why, do I, why do I yell at my kids? Because I want them to do what I want them to do. Why won't they do what I want them to do? Well, in that moment, instead of loving them and realizing Avalon's three, okay, and she, she needs to learn some stuff and she needs to grow, I've swapped Jesus out, a love for her and a desire to see her grow, and I've instead wanted to control so you have to assess. You have to um, actively look at your actions, the way you think and your attitudes to address whether or not you are serving a different master rather than God. This is why it's so critical for us to be engaged with Christ personally and in community through discipleship. Discipleship is the process of exposing these source idols and replacing those old habits and behaviors with Jesus' values, characteristics, and attributes. It's the process of changing masters. Discipleship is the process of swapping masters and putting Jesus as the primary place in our hearts, loving him from our love. Individually, it looks like confession. Confession is agreeing with God. I see what you say. I agree that I am either living this way or not living this way, mostly not living this way. And so it's agreeing with Jesus that I am not doing what he's asked me to do. The next step is to ask for forgiveness and to repent, to turn away from it. Miss Leah told me that the picture word for repent in the, in the old Hebrews is to burn it down. <laughs> Not just turn away from it, burn it down as you turn away from it so you can never come back to it. That's the idea behind repentance. Burn it down, walk away. And then the last step is not to just sit in shame and guilt about what you just did. The last step is to walk in the freedom that Christ has granted you. Did you know that he forgave you? He forgave you. All of your sins were future sins when Jesus went to the cross. He knows about them. He knows what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. He knows what sins you'll commit actively or in ignorance. He knows all of that. And he still loves you all the same. And he still offers forgiveness to you all the same. And so instead of being chained to our shame and our guilt, instead we must confess, agree with God, call the thing out as wrong, ask for forgiveness, and then honestly, as honestly as we can, Repent and move on from those things, living in the freedom that Christ has granted you and I. This has to be our consistent, individual pattern in life. Within this community, you have to be sidled up with an invested disciple leader. You need to be a part of discipleship. You need to be engaged in discipleship. Maybe you're a part of it, but maybe you're not fully engaged. You need to be in it because these disciple leaders want to know you on a deeper level. They're going to help you develop the habits of reading and memorizing scripture. They're asking deeper questions which will help sort out and deal with your baggage from the past. They are praying for you and holding you accountable to pray as well. 
They are helping you see where you are and where God would have you in the future. They encourage you to serve your family, to serve your community, your coworkers, your sphere of influence, and ultimately to serve this church. They're helping you apply what you're reading. They are helping you learn how you should apply what you're reading in your week and what you're learning in your weeks. They are celebrating new life events with you. They are, uh, they, since they know your life well and they know your circumstances well, they're going to come alongside of you and they're going to help you uh, discern the good or the bad in life and how you should move forward. They're going to help you see the world the way that Jesus wants you to see the world. They're going to help you swap your old lenses out for Jesus-style lenses. And they're going to help you see the world through and, and the way that Jesus wants you to see it with him as the center of everything. Now listen, these disciple leaders aren't perfect people. Listen, this church isn't full of perfect people. What? Did I just let out a big secret? Listen, none, none of us, none of us are perfectly nailing it, but the point is not that we're being perfect. The point is that are we pursuing and here's the reality, is that your disciple leader, while they're not perfect, and while they won't perfectly do this for you, or even for themselves, they're going to try their hardest. And that's all that we can ask of one another. These invested leaders want to see you swap out the old way of living and instead put Jesus as master of your life. This is what Jesus did with his disciples. His disciples saw the world a certain way, and he said, no, you need to view it this way. No, you need to think about it this way. No, instead of doing that, next time let's do this. And he had constant conversation and he prayed for them and he prayed with them. And he helped them to pray and he taught them how to pray. And he taught them how to walk and he showed them, uh, he showed them brand new ways of thinking and living and being because he wanted to see them strive towards ultimate health. So here's our question. Do you want to be healthy? Maybe a better question is how healthy do you want to be? I think all of us feel like we can do it really well in one or two areas and then we just would rather ignore the other areas because those are difficult. But the point is that God sees you as a whole connected being and he wants your total self to be holistically healthy. How healthy do you want to be? And I hope you want to be healthy the way that Jesus wants you to be healthy. So I've got a diet for you. Here's Cornerstone's diet. Healthy doses of individual confession, repentance, and forward living and freedom in Christ. Investing in your disciple community, whether that's an individual or multiple people, each week to be reinvigorated, to be rechallenged, to be loved, and to be encouraged to keep going. Then you need to create and maintain the spiritual habits like reading and memorizing scripture, prayer and journaling, and applying those lessons into your life. And finally, serving, serving where you are serving people at your job, at, in your home, and here in the church. This is our diet. It's not mean. It doesn't want to starve you. It doesn't want to hurt you. Our diet wants to see you be healthy. And I promise you that if you'll submit to the diet, if you won't rage against it or be frustrated with it all the time or, or point out all the flaws, because listen, there's a lot. I'm flawed, you're flawed, we're all flawed. We're all really inconsistent about making Jesus master, and this is the whole point, is that even through the flaws, we're gonna try our best to attain for, strive for health. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Who's ever driven a, a standard vehicle before? 
Okay, everyone above the age of like 30, yeah, um, has driven a standard before. Excellent. Some of y'all below too. Uh, okay, the point of driving is to go from point A to point B, right? Um, if you're in a standard vehicle, if you stall the car, do you just get out, start crying, and kick it and walk away? I did maybe the second time, okay. Uh, no, that, that's not what you do. You don't just get mad at the car or mad at the, uh, the, the manual transmission. Instead, you just try harder next time. And you learn from your mistakes this time and you keep striving forward because the point is that you're trying to get to a place. So C.S. Lewis says, C.S. Lewis, this is his example. He says, just because it's hard doesn't mean you don't keep going. Just because it's difficult right now and just because you stall sometimes doesn't mean that you don't turn the car back on and try your best to get into first, second, third, fourth, fifth gear, whatever it is. This is what our diet should look like. When we stall, when we make the people fresh, one time I was in Albuquerque. Has, who's ever been to Albuquerque? Every street is a light. Every street is a light. It's horrible, and you're always going uphill. I don't know how it works. It's wild. And I was driving a little car. I had learned on a big Dodge Ram where the clutch was like forever long, you know what I'm saying? And I had so much forgiveness. And I went to like a little Scion car, and I was driving it. And I, there must have been 80 cars behind me by the time I actually finally got out of the turn lane. They were, I was the most embarrassed I've ever been in my whole life. You know, you know, like when you feel the heat coming off the top of your head kind of sweat? That's how embarrassed I was. But the point is that I had to get to where I was going. And either I could jump out of the car and just tell everybody to go around me, or we could just try our best to move forward. This is the point. If you and I will submit to confession, repentance, and moving forward in the freedom that Christ has granted us, if we will submit to discipleship, if we will submit to an invested leader and, and, and watch them, pay attention to how they, how they live, pay attention to how they speak to me and communicate with me, if we'll submit to this, then we will begin to start striving towards this tamim, this wholeness, this health, this singularity of mind towards God that he's wanting us to have. Jesus says in Luke 6, you're a fool if you think you can do it by yourself. You're a fool if you hear what I say and don't do it but you're wise, you're discerning, you have understanding, you see the world as it really is if you hear what I say and do what I do. Many of us need to assess this morning. We have some confession to do. We have some calling out of where I'm not living right, where I'm not matching up to that Jesus standard. Many of us need to begin to examine the source idols in our lives. Am I living this way? Am I putting Jesus down here and instead serving this master? Many of us need to look personally within ourselves to see which master we are putting in Jesus' place. We need to repent and move forward. Listen, Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't saying you now need to pay penance for 50 years and be guilty about it forever. He's saying, it's done, man. I've got it. Move forward. Submit. Make me your master. Let's go. There's a lot to do. That's Jesus' action. That's his tenor. That's how he feels about you, and that's what he wants to see in your life. Many of us need to re-engage or engage. Now listen, discipleship is not an option. <laughs> discipleship is not an option. Um, I, I, a lot of us, I think, think it's, it's well, that's, you know, that's kind of right for some people, and you know, I don't really have to do that. It's just a sermon and podcast a week. I'll, I'll be, that's enough growth for me. It's, it, I'm telling you, uh, this is not how Jesus viewed it. He said, he said, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. 
He said, if you love me, people will be able to see that you're one of my disciples. And so what you have to do is submit to me, do what I'm telling you to do, and what I'm telling you to do is go and make disciples. I'm telling you to go and be an invested leader in someone's life. I'm wanting you to invest in their life. I'm wanting you to show them how they should live. I'm wanting you I'm wanting you to show them how they should speak. I'm wanting you to talk with them gently, to love them towards a deeper relationship with Christ. Because ultimately what we all want to see in each other is life transformation. He thinks, Jesus thinks, discipleship is your primary call. It's the primary way that you make him primary in your life. So we need to engage in discipleship. With new levels of excitement and new levels of commitment, We have to learn our verses. I know it's so hard, but we need to because it's good for us. We need to be a part of our communities as often as we possibly can. We need to be, the word we use around here is fat. We need to be fat people, faithful, available, and teachable. That's what we want to see in each one of our lives. Some of us um, need to realize or remember that this is still our mission. This is still Cornerstone's mission. We haven't changed anything. This is still what we're about. We want to see your life transformed to place Jesus as the master and sole person that you serve and obey with everything that you are, from your love, from your essence, because he wants to see you flourish. He wants to see you grow, grow, be whole, and complete. And this is what we want to see in everyone in this room. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you so much on this. We can't do this by ourselves. The type of transformation that I'm talking about and the type of transformation that you want to see in our lives is impossible without your help. It's impossible without you coming in and changing our hearts, changing our minds, changing our thought patterns, changing the way that we act, helping us to assess and see where we are currently and how we should move forward. We need you on this. I need you in this. Where I've strayed from you and where I've made other masters, I confess. Instead, help me to need you this week. Help me to see that you need to be the most primary thing in my life. Help us as a congregation to see this morning, God, that we need you to take lordship in our lives. We need you to be our master. We need to obey and serve you and you alone. Help us to assess well this week where we are. Help us to not over-idealize where we'll be. Instead, help us to be realistic as we pursue you. Help us to take small steps this week towards you as we engage in discipleship, as we maybe re-engage with our groups and re-engage with those relationships in our lives. As we re-engage with you, help us to um, see Illuminate for us, Holy Spirit, where where, um, we are not making you Lord and Master of our lives. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, today's your day. Today's your moment. Now is your moment. You don't have to say anything crazy or or say a spell or something like that. It doesn't work that way. It just has to come from an honest place in your heart. Because if we believe and confess, then he will save us. If you would just pray like this with me to make him Lord and master of your life, just just follow along like this. Dear God, I, I thank you that you know me and that you love me and that even when I've made other things masters of my life, not you, you still love me and you still offer forgiveness. I realize that I have not always put you at the primary place in my life. 
You've not always been number one. I've made other things number one. I've made my own desires number one. I've made other people number one, whatever it looks like. I've not always served you and followed you. God, I, I'm asking for forgiveness, and I believe that you can forgive me. I believe that you, from what you did on the cross, repent of the, uh, sorry, the resurrection, what you did three days later, you can grant me forgiveness and that you, in rising from the dead, can save me. I believe it, I accept it, and I want to live for you now. Help me to find wholeness, help me to find um, confession and repentance and a moving forward in freedom with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made any decisions this morning, would you come let us know at the front? If you want to join a church that wants to see your whole, total person be conformed to Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, then come join and be a part of this. If you made a decision to follow Jesus as your personal Savior today, to become um, a, a person who has him as master of their lives, please let us know. We would love to partner with you, walk alongside of you, commit to you as we help disciple you to show you what it looks like to follow Christ. If you've made any decisions, if you need to pray this morning, come to the front. Let's take some moments as we ask God what's next. Let's stand as we sing.